Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community. We are so glad you're here. Um, whether you're here for the first time or come regularly, we're just glad that you're here. And uh, my name's Tim. Um, I forget if I already said that. I said it at 9 o'clock. I don't know if I just said it. Um, but my name's Tim. Um, I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love to just pray for us this morning as we open God's Word to Ephesians 3 and, and hear what he has for us. Let's pray. Um, Father, we thank you that you have spoken and that the one thing you've said more than anything else is the Word became flesh, Jesus your Son. And then if we believe in Him and, and model and, and, and organize our whole lives around Him, there's life, rich, eternal, good life. So God, I want to do that. I need that more than anybody else in this room. I pray this text would speak to me first, and then for all those who hear, God, this would order our lives more around you, and we would fall more enamored by how brilliant and glorious Jesus is and follow Him with everything we have. And we pray this for his glory and in his name. Amen. Well, being a disciple always sounded like a terrible idea to me. I don't know, maybe you grew up in church like me and you sort of recoil at the word disciple. But for me, growing up in the church, being a disciple meant one thing. You were serious. Right? Disciples had furrowed brows maybe a list of rules that they kept in their pockets, and they always looked at you like you weren't keeping those rules. Or maybe you didn't grow up in church, and you wonder why Christians have this strange vocabulary, words that no one else uses but us, and you hear the word disciple, and you think, why do Christians use such strange made-up words? And now, as a church, we're saying, we want to be about three things. We want to be about multiplying churches, we want to be about multiplying disciples, and we want to be about multiplying leaders. At this week, we're in the middle of a three-week series kind of looking at where um, and who we are as a church and where we're going, where we're headed. And we really think the best way to define that, to describe that, is we're about three things. Multiplying churches, multiplying disciples, and multiplying leaders. So if you were here last week, I know you're, you're on board with multiplying churches. All right, if you were here last week, that was a pretty, pretty amazing week. And for someone who's kind of sat in last week and, and gotten lots of emails, phone calls, conversation, the excitement around what we're, where we're headed um, has been just an encouragement. And, and so for those of you who weren't here last week, a um, couple big announcements. Uh, um, I'll just share one. One, we're going to plant a new campus um, out of Olathe, up north, um, somewhere in, in the Shawnee area, and, and uh, my wife and I, we get to, to be a part of the team that does that. And so we're excited. We announced that. There was lots of, lots of energy and excitement. Um, and if you, if you missed last week, you really need to podcast this sermon. And when you do, you need to get some tissues ready, because you're going to cry, and it's going to be an ugly cry. <laughs> we actually, we got an email from someone this week that said they were listening to the podcast, and it was an ugly cry. And we weren't sure what to do, what you do with that, if you call them or... Um, but, but get right, I mean, it was an incredible week, and, and even more amazing for me, um, just to see the excitement, the energy that, that this church is on board with, being on mission, starting new campuses, and everyone's bought into that, and I've just been blown away. Um, and so if you are here last week, we're in, um, but, but now, multiplying disciples. Do we need more of those? Some of you may think, do we want more of those? And if you feel that way, like I used to feel, it could be because the church maybe has misrepresented what a disciple is, or maybe you, like me, has misunderstood what a disciple is. Which raises the question we need to answer this morning, what is a disciple? 
And the prayer we just heard read in Ephesians 3, I think, gives us a really good picture of that. Paul doesn't use the word, the word disciple there in the prayer, but what he's praying for is that these Christians in Asia Minor would become disciples, would become followers of Jesus. And in a sense, since we believe the Bible is timeless and is still speaking and is still true today, the Bible's still praying these words over us now, that we would become these sorts of people. So what does Paul pray for? What's the picture that he gives us? What is a disciple? I think a disciple is someone who knows what they could never know, does what they would never do, and goes where they would never go. Knows what they could never know, does what they would never do, and goes where they would never go. So let's look at what exactly is a disciple under those, those three headings. First, a disciple knows what they could never know. And I don't know if you, if you missed this as, as Patrick was reading this prayer, but, but Paul actually sort of contradicts himself in what he prays for. That if you look at verse 19, he says, I want you, you Christians, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want you to know what you can't know. To, to, to know what goes beyond just an intellectual grasping that God loves you. And that for Paul, what is most important for a disciple is to be a love-struck person. For someone who has encountered and knows the self-giving and infinite love of God. But how many of us really know God's love like that? The infinite self-giving love of God. As a pastor, as I hang out with people or meet with people, I find far more people wrestle with, does God really love me? The, the, the reality for most of us, I think, in this room is we feel guilty or we're, we're, we feel shame or we feel like we don't measure up, like we're not good enough, like we're not passing God's test. And we wonder, does he really love us? Which almost seems ridiculous in, in our culture, especially where it seems like if, if we believe anything about God, it's that, that God is love and God loves us no matter what we do. And yet, very few, very few people really have taken that in. I mean, I, I hardly ever hear someone say, sitting across from them, you know, God just loves me so much, and I don't have any problems. It's great. That we all long to know God with more depth, to know what we couldn't know. And Paul, I think, gets this. It's why, as he's setting this prayer up, as he's praying, I want you to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Uh, earlier in the prayer, um, in, in verse 18, he, he wants them to, he says, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and height and length and depth of, of Christ's love, to know the love of Christ, to have strength to comprehend that love. This is a really interesting phrase, the strength to comprehend. Because this word comprehend, it doesn't mean just mental knowledge. It's not just intellectually you, you understand God loves you. The word comprehend there is, is to be overwhelmed or for someone to overtake someone, to overcome someone. Now Paul's praying you have the strength for the moment when God's love pours out onto you, that you'll have the strength to deal with it to sit in it. It's not just an intellectual knowledge. It's not just answering, yes, God is love. It's knowing it. It's experiencing it. Which raises the question, have you experienced God's love like that? Overtaking you. Overwhelming you. And for many, last Sunday may have been a moment where that, that happened. The one thing that, that blew me away was how many people um, in our church, actually, we're praying for a campus to be closer to their home, particularly in the north. And how many people just walked in and God just answered a big prayer out of nowhere for them. And they were just overwhelmed and amazed with, with God's love for them in that moment. 
Or for others of you, maybe it was like me in the baptism video, seeing our friends, our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ dunked down in the water, brought back up, hearing that phrase, buried with Christ, raised to new life over and over again, a visible reminder of the power of the gospel, how it's changed us and given us new life. Has God's love overwhelmed you? Do you experience it, not just know it? At this week, I... I got a chance to talk to one of our pastors on staff, and, and he shared with me the story of, of a woman who came to faith here at Christ Community. First encountered this love beyond an intellectual knowledge and an, an experience here at this church. But there was a moment for her when everything changed, when she became a disciple of Jesus. Now, this girl had struggled with, with image, and in particular, eating disorders for, for most of her life. And, and in the service here at Christ Community, one day, she just shared how there was this moment on her bathroom floor where God overwhelmed her and said, you're my beloved daughter. I love you. You don't have to do this. And that moment became a moment for her where God's love wasn't just an intellectual truth, but it, it became her experience. It entered her brokenness, entered her pain, entered her fallenness, and it became real. That God doesn't just love, he loves me. He loves you. And that's where every disciple starts. They know what they could never know, that they are loved by God. And so it raises a question for us as a church, how do we multiply those types of people? How do we enable those sorts of people? And, and as a church, we want to be ultimately about a lot of things that enable all of us to encounter the love of God, but two things stand above all the rest. And they're not, gonna, they're not amazing, so they're not going to blow you away, but they're important. And it's to encounter God's love, to be someone who knows what you could never know. You need the spiritual disciplines, and you need community. I know discipline sounds like the best way to encounter love, doesn't it? And yet, the disciplines, if they're anything, right, prayer, Bible reading, corporate worship, fasting, whatever those disciplines are, journaling, they are God-ordained spaces for us to enter in and silence what's going on and what we're saying and listen and hear from God, who will only speak his love and his grace and his truth over us. And we need those spaces, because if we don't carve those spaces out in our lives, if we're not praying, reading our scripture, if we're not entering into corporate worship, what happens is other voices become louder. And we hear those voices, voices of guilt and condemnation, they become the soundtrack to our life, where God's love slowly gets pushed more and more into the background. And to be overwhelmed with God's love, you have to be entering the spaces he's made for us to encounter that love. But it's not just individual practice. It's also community. It's not just personal spiritual disciplines. It's also the community is significant in being overwhelmed and encountering God's love. That as a Christian and someone who's walked with Jesus for a while, most of the moments where God's well, love has overwhelmed me has been other people bringing God's love into my life through what they've said, how they've encouraged me, and especially in the context of, of community groups. That, that, yes, God does overwhelm us individually, but my, in my own life, it far more happens with other people, whether it's a sermon I hear, a song that, that's being sung in church, whether it's people praying for me, it's far more often I'm overwhelmed by God's love with someone else ministering and, and coming alongside me. And one great example of that is um, I've been, ever since Misty and I got here, about a year now, we've been in the same community group. And it's been a great group for us to be a part of, and, and especially, I think, as, as young parents. Um, so we have a, a two-and-a-half-year-old boy and, a, and an eight-month-old eight, eight um, son as well. And so being young parents, we, uh, we just feel guilty all the time. 
right? And I've talked about this before. If you're a parent, right, that's just, if you want to feel guilty, become a parent. That's a great way <laughs> to fill your life with guilt. Um, right, it, and I think it's been even easy for me at times to see my kids as, as God's test of me, right? And if, if, they're my, if they're God's test of me, like, all they do right now is scream at me, and I'm failing that test while they're screaming at me. It's just not encouraging. And so our community group has been just a great space to, to walk with Christ along other people, and especially to be encouraged. And, and there's one person in particular in our, our community group that's been a special encouragement to Misty and to me as well. And, and this one person especially that decided that they had shared Psalm 127 with us, and it's just been really meaningful, especially to Misty. And, and knowing that, she made a frame for us to put up in, in our house um, with Psalm 127. And I love this, this psalm. Um, here's what it says. Hanging, well, eventually, once I, once I do my job and hang it in our house, it will hang. Um, someday, uh, Psalm 127 will be hung up. It'll say, it says this, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of a womb, the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the one who fills their quiver with them. They shall not be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the gate. That ultimately, what she's, I think, tried to get us to see is our kids are God's gifts to us, not his test. He loves us, and that's why we have two little boys at home right now. And I don't, I don't know why he's chosen to bless us with two boys. But it's given us a bigger picture of God's love and grace over our life. Where by ourselves, we would have been stuck in condemnation and guilt and someone else comes alongside us in community and says, you need to hear something else. You need to hear Psalm 127. You need to hear our experience and how God loves you and those little boys are gifts to you. And so this morning, as we think about how can we all encounter God's love, be overwhelmed, because I'm, I'm sensing all of us, we long for this. We long to just be overwhelmed by the love of God. Just two practical next steps, one of which most of you have already taken, the other of which I encourage all of us to take after today. At first, all of us from this sermon should, should take this text and pray it for other people, for our families, for in our, our community group, for this church. We should pray Ephesians 3, that all of us in this room would be overwhelmed with the love of Christ, that we would know what we can never know. That take this text as a prayer that you just pray for, if it's people in your community group, people in your family, people who don't know Jesus who you're close to, underline this text and just pray it for people. Pray that they would know the love that they could never know. Pray that they would begin to understand how long and how far and how wide and how deep is the love of Christ for us all. That's the one thing we'll never have enough of, is that being overwhelmed in that experience of what God just thinks of us in his love. So that's one first step for all of us to take. Pray that over others. But second, and, and like I said, most of you are already taking this step, so you're already done with application for today. Um, but, but for those of you who aren't in a community group, um, join one. Be a part of one. And to know lo God's love requires community. It requires carved out space for other people to speak into your life. And if you're already in a community group, use that as a space to encourage people. Right? I think one of the things that has always made me uncomfortable about discipleship or how we framed it is disciples, they point out to you what's wrong with you. Right? And I, I've just become convinced, reading scripture, and maybe I have more work to do here, I've just become convinced Christians are people who actually do more of telling what's right in other people. Where they see God at work, how they see God's grace moving. And just calling that out in encouragement in other people. So if you're in a community group, make it more a place of encouragement and love and grace. And if you're not in one, join one. Because you need other people to speak love and grace into your life. And you need to do the same for others. So being a disciple, it means knowing 
which you could never know. But it also means doing which you would never do. Now, Paul prays something much different than what I tend to pray for. I tend to pray for, for comfort, for help, for my circumstances to change. And don't get me wrong, those are all good things that we should pray for because Lord knows we all need help, we all need comfort, and some of us in here especially need our circumstances changed. But Paul, who writes this letter from prison to Christians who are being persecuted, doesn't ask for any of that to stop. Instead, in verse 16, he asks for this, that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, would know the love of Christ. But did you catch that? He, he prays that we would be granted to be strengthened with power. That Paul prays for these Christians, these disciples, to have the power to endure terrible circumstances. That Paul is, is praying for a power for these disciples to have their inner being changed so that they could face any circumstance. They could go through anything. They could look at, at persecution or look at prison or look at suffering with new eyes and, and live with a new power. And Paul's not just saying this power is not just a, a weak power. In Ephesians 1, verses 19 and 20, earlier, he talks about power and talks about the power at work in us and at work in Christ. And here's what he says. He says, what is the measurable greatness of his power, of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That Paul prays for us to have a power, the same power that God used to raise Christ from the dead. The same power that took a dead body of Jesus in a tomb and brought it back to life is at work in you and I, Christians. The same power that conquered the grave is alive in us. There to help us face and go through and walk through any circumstance that he would have us walk through. To do what we would never do. And so a disciple's prayers will begin to reflect Paul's. To pray for that power. To pray for us to endure whatever he walks us through with faithfulness and grace in Christ. And as a church, we want to be about multiplying these types of people. But I don't want us to misunderstand that. I'm not saying he, we're going to do what we could never do, which means we're going to do extraordinary, unordinary things and leave all the ordinary things behind. No, we want to see Christ's power at work in us, both in, or, in ordinary life and unordinary circumstances or unordinary situations. And here's what I mean. When I, I hear the word disciple, I often think super Christian. Right? They're the people who take Jesus really seriously, unlike some of us. Right, they become monks or missionaries or they start a business and it becomes really successful and they become famous and they do lots of things and, and, and they follow their passions out and they just, they're just loving life and you can tell it. And you're like, man, I wish, wish I was like that. But that's not a disciple. And I've always been uncomfortable with language that, that, that makes discipleship about doing something really great. Because if that's the measure of discipleship, Jesus failed. He spent most of his life working an insignificant job in an obscure town. Working in a carpentry shop, making tables or chairs or whatever people asked him to do, probably getting chewed out by customers all the time. He just worked in a place where no one had heard of, doing something everyone else could do. He worked in the ordinary. 
And so Christians will find no task menial or insignificant or unworthy of our devotion or time because Jesus, the God of the universe, spent most of his life doing what we or what many people consider to be insignificant and unimportant work in the the carpentry shop of rural Nazareth. But the God of the universe found joy in it, found meaning in it. And for most of his life, Jesus didn't change his world, didn't chase his passions. He just faithfully served his mom, his brothers, and his family, working a nine-to-five, even though he was the creator of the universe. And so a disciple is not a super Christian who changes the world. You may just change a diaper, or a lot of diapers. And whether Jesus takes you to an obscure town to be a carpenter in Nazareth, or whether you're working at a cubicle in Olathe, there is meaning and there is significance, and Jesus wants to work in power through you, through whatever your vocation or work is. It's not insignificant, it's not meaninglessness, and it's not biding your time until you can do something really important for the kingdom. No, wherever you're at right now, God wants to work at power in you, in the ordinary. And most people don't look at life that way. Most people think that to do what you would never do means you've got to do grand things. No, it just means be faithful at your job, because there's a lot of people that don't even get that right. They're always longing for something else, always looking for something better to do. And just be faithful to wherever God has called you because Jesus learned that and was obedient that for most of his life before he ever started teaching, preaching, or gathering a following. He just worked for his mom, his brothers, his sisters. Little Nazareth, and no one heard of him until he was 30. So disciples, they work with power in the ordinary. They also work in the unordinary. And then if you follow Jesus long enough, you will do something you never thought you would do. He'll take you somewhere that you weren't planning on going. And then in the past week, I've sat with sort of a lot of people who have have kind of wrestled through that as I've talked to several people who plan to to make the the move to the new campus. And I got one email in particular that I I just thought highlighted this really well, that she um, is doing something most people wouldn't do. And then she wrote something I, I really want us to hear. And Someone who lives up north, and she longs for, for what she has here in her church community in Olathe to be up in her community now. This is what she wrote. It was just really encouraging to me. Uh, the Olathe campus is my home. The one place in Kansas City where I'm totally and unconditionally welcomed and loved. I've been so blessed to serve the Olathe community and excited to partake in bettering Olathe. But some part of me throughout this year said, I wish this were my community my neighborhood, my neighbors. I even started praying about two months ago, absentmindedly, that Christ Community would buy the church less than a block from my house. I feel like God has been preparing my heart for this for a long time, which is good because I'm stubborn. I'm so excited to say yes to this new adventure, to say yes to serving in my community and the surrounding communities. I'm absolutely ridiculously heartbroken that this means leaving home, but I'm hopeful that this new community of believers will feel even more like home. And who starts praying that they would leave their home? Who starts asking God, God, could you let me go start something new to leave what I love so other people can have it? I mean, most of us, myself included, once we get our niche, our corner of the world, or our part of the church that we really love, we fight to keep that, and we don't want to lose it. We don't want to get rid of it. And yet here's someone who, two months ago, starts praying for for something new to happen for other people. 
The disciples do what they would never do. And there will never be enough people like this. Which is why we as a church always need to be about multiplying disciples. We need more of this. We need more people willing to do what they would never do, willing to go where they would never, where they, they would never go. That's why we're all in for multiplying disciples. So disciples know what they can never know, do what they would never do, and finally go where they would never go. Because if a disciple is anything, a disciple is first a follower. Someone who is convinced that Jesus is the most brilliant human being that ever lived, and so therefore everything that he said is completely trustworthy and true, and I can bank my life on it. Imagine that. If, if you're a doctor or a nurse, you work in the medical profession, you know how hard it can be to heal a body, to, to root out sickness. But it wasn't hard for Jesus, who could heal with the touch of his hand or sometimes even spitting in people's faces. <laughs> or if you're a, a, an engineer or a builder or an architect, you know how hard it can be to build a building or build something simple. And yet Jesus built all of creation from nothing. That he is the most brilliant human being that's ever lived. The most brilliant being in the universe, which means he knows how to live my life better than me. It also means he knows how to live your life better than you. And so a disciple is first a follower. And that means if you follow him, you'll go wherever he goes. And if you follow him long enough, he'll, he'll take you somewhere that you don't want to go. He'll push your limits. He'll navigate beyond your boundaries. And I think that's why Paul prays what he prays to the Ephesians, how he ends his prayer. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That a disciple sees the brilliance, the glory of Christ, and knows that with God, nothing is impossible. That he will and can do anything beyond what we ask or what we think or what we imagine. And so therefore, we can live not in control. We can go where he goes. We can follow him beyond the boundaries that we set up for ourselves. Because we know, wherever he's taking me is better than what I would have planned for myself. And I get as a pastor, there are some of you that hear that and think, no way. You don't know where I'm at, where my life is. And the reality is, some of you, like Paul, God will lead you beyond your boundaries into suffering. In, in Paul's case, it's prison. In these Christians' place, it was, it was persecution. He will navigate you to a place you would not go. But if he's brilliant, if he knows, we can follow him there. He knows the way out. He knows what he's doing. And we can go, trusting that's why a disciple is first a follower and why they can go where they would never go. And wherever he leaves you, wherever he takes you in life, he will go. He will go beyond what you want or where you want to go. And this means that, that those of us that follow Jesus, those of us that want to be disciples, two things will always be true of us. First, we'll always live with our feet off the ground. And second, we will always long for others to see Jesus' glory. And first, we'll always live with our feet off the ground. If you're a disciple, you will live with your feet off the ground. That was actually something that a staff member prayed um, this week, that, that we were just blown away by last Sunday. And, you know, we were gathering as a staff to pray on Tuesday morning. We were all a little freaked out, um, kind of just surprised and shocked. And someone prayed, God, it feels like our feet are off the ground and we have no control. And yet, if you're a disciple, that's the perfect place to be. 
Because if you're not overwhelmed anywhere in your life right now, it means you don't have to trust Jesus with anything. You have it under control. You don't need him. But a disciple will live with our feet off the ground, knowing if my feet are off the ground and I'm not in control, he can do more than I could ask, think, or imagine. But if I'm in control, we're not going very far. And this, this past Sunday was the perfect example of that for me. Right, we announced we're starting a new campus, and, and Missy and I get to be a part of that team, and I'm about to find out if anyone else cares but me. <laughs> right, so the night before, I don't sleep very well. Um, I'm anxious. I come in Sunday morning, and I'm just wondering what. My, I know my life's about to radically change. I just don't know if it's about to get radically better or radically worse. So the, the service starts, and, and Missy and I, like all good Christians, we find uh, where our assigned seats are in the church, where we sit every Sunday. Um, and, and this week, people are sitting behind us that don't normally sit behind us, and these are people that live up north. People I've been praying for, for for months, that they would come and join us. And now we have to sit right in front of them, right? And so I know this news is about to drop. They don't yet, and it's I'm just... I'm just kind of anxious for what's going to happen. And so the, the, the service rolls on, and Nathan announces we're planning another campus. And they start whispering behind me. <laughs> and then the video comes on, and Nathan says, we're going north. And they start whispering more. And then I, I go, I list the towns, and their town's right there in the middle of the list, and they start whispering more. And I'm like, stop whispering. This is good stuff. You need to listen. This is good. We, we worked really hard on this. Right, so finally they stop whispering when the video ends. And literally my thought is, they've already come up with the reasons why they're not coming before I even got to talk to them. So the service ends, benediction ends. I get to talk to a few people um, after, uh, after the service, some people who just came up right away and said, we're in, we're excited. And, uh, and I see they grabbed Misty right away. And I'm, I'm thinking, are they already, they grabbed her to tell her no? That's not fair. You should tell me no at least. And, uh, and so they, they come up, and, and, and they start talking, and, and what they share is, you know, we've been praying that we would have a campus um, closer to us, and we're excited, and, and we're in. Yeah, how cool is that? But there I go in thinking, okay, I've got this under control. Good, we've got a good announcement. We can make this happen. We can talk them into it. And, and God's already been at work for months. And, and I felt like last Sunday and this week for anything to me was just God saying, you know, I'm going to do this, and if you want to help me, you can, but I don't need you. <laughs> that for months, people have already been praying for this, already moved ahead, and all of us, unknowing to, to everyone who is praying for this, feet off the ground, not sure when it's going to happen, not sure what it's going to look like for me, not sure if anyone else cares. And then God shows up last week, and it's, again, he does immeasurably more than we ask, think, or imagine. He, I, he doesn't need my feet on the ground. He needs my feet off the ground. So I'm overwhelmed, and I'm trusting, and I'm going where he goes. Not because I'm smarter or I figured it out, but because he is brilliant, and he knows what's ahead, and I can follow him and trust him in that wherever he's going to take me. So disciples first live with their feet off the ground. But second, um, disciples will go where they would never go, and, and, and that's that the disciples will want others to see Jesus' glory. And for us at Christ Community, that, that, that means two things. It first means that we want to be um, a church that, as Paul says, brings glory to Christ throughout all generations. And we use the language here of being an intergenerational church. Now here at Christ Community, we have over 160 children, students who are part of our congregation. And we need their voices. We want their voices. 
We, they're a part of our, our church, a part of our congregation. We want their energy, their faith, their passion, no matter how little or how tall. And so one way we've tried to encourage families to think about how they can participate in being an intergenerational church is to be a two-service family. And what that means is, is come and worship with your whole family for one service, with your kids um, alongside you, singing, sitting through the sermon, all of that. Um, and then second service, go and, and send your kids off to, to children's ministry or student ministries, and, and adults, you go serve somewhere. Or if your kids are in, have them go serve somewhere. That we are convinced, and studies show, the best way for our children, our students, to own, and own their faith and be disciples through their whole life is for them to see you first as parents, own their faith, and for them to be a part of our whole congregation. That we don't just send them downstairs because they're a little bit more noisy than us and a little bit more energetic than us. No, they're a part of our church, and we want them up here, and we want them down there, and we want them everywhere, right? And we want to be intergenerational, and that's a huge part of who we want to be. And the great thing is, is next week, we're giving you more opportunities to be a two-service family because there's more services. <laughs> and the even better part is we need more people to serve especially in children's ministries and, and in other places too. But think on that, pray on that, that we want to be an intergenerational church who loves our kids well and has them a part of our congregation as much as anything as anyone else. But there's another way that disciples belong for others to see Jesus' glory. And this is something that I think for some people makes them uncomfortable. It's hard to know what this looks like, but, but we'll want to see people, especially adults who don't know Jesus, who don't have faith in Christ, come to faith in Christ. That we'll want to see conversions, see people who don't trust Jesus begin to trust Jesus, to multiply disciples by making new disciples. And that's the biggest reason why I feel called to be a part of, of the next campus, to go and start a new campus, is that new churches, new, new, new campuses, new congregations are the single most effective evangelistic strategy. I mean, Nathan talked about it last week, but new churches are the best way for people who don't know Jesus to, to meet him. And so we want to, as a church, be about multiplying churches that multiply disciples and see people come to faith. There are people right now, both in this room, but also in Aletha and, and Gardner and in Lenexa, Shawnee, KCK, who don't know Jesus. Who think that the final word in their life will be their sin or their, their frustration or their guilt or their shame. Or, or maybe they're, they're satisfied with their life and they think there's no greater joy and they have no idea the unsurpassable richness of knowing Christ and his goodness and his grace in their lives. There are people who need to know Jesus. And so we want to be a place that multiplies disciples by making new disciples. Seeing people come to faith. And then above all, we know that there is no limiting God. That he can do immeasurably more than we ask, think, or imagine. Because Lord knows if he can love and save me, he can love and save anyone. And that's true for all of us. So there's no person too far. There's no person who might not believe. Because God's love is far beyond what we could ask, think, or imagine. And so as a church, we want to long for others to see Jesus' glory. They're your family. They're your neighbors. Your kids' friends. Pray for them. Invite them over to, just to hang out. If it seems right, invite them to church. For God is able to do abundantly far more than we ask or think. I hope now you maybe have a little bit of a better glimpse of what a disciple is and why we at Christ Community want, are all in for, for multiplying those types of people. That the image Paul gives here is something we all need and everyone in this world needs. Someone grasped by God's love, someone living in God's power, someone going wherever Jesus goes. 
Because ultimately, disciples, they're just people. People who know what they could never know, the infinite self-giving love of God. People who do what they would never do, whether it's the ordinary life or the unordinary circumstances. And people who will go where they would never go because they know Jesus is there. And he's the one thing worth living for. The people like this. Hi, my name is Asher Hughes, and I design buildings for a firm in Kansas City. My name is Julie Mitchell. I'm a PhD student at the University of Kansas Medical Center. I study uh, T-cell development and leukemia. My name is Brandon Haverty. I work at Red Legacy. Uh, it's a commercial real estate firm. Um, and we do retail uh, shopping center development in, in Kansas City and surrounding markets. Well, I think my journey of faith starts from a really young age, as early as six or seven, just really having, um, just really being drawn to God and, and believing in God being something really easy for me. And, um, but just not really knowing who that God was, uh, if it was the God of Jesus or Hinduism or whatever other religion has to offer. And so I think it was just uh, a long journey of trying to figure that out, um, but still always just kind of struggling with, with, with church and um, maybe being a little turned off by it, not wanting, not wanting really a religion or laws or legalism, but really wanting a, a life to live and a relationship. And um, so there was a long, a long journey that um, I kind of lived as a, as a homeless Christian, as, as Tom would say, um, trying to live out a faith by myself and ultimately coming to realize that I couldn't do it by myself and that I needed other people and that people really needed me and that I had something to offer too. And um, so I think it was just a few years ago where I started to inch my way into Christ Community. I found Christ Community actually through the young adult group. The church I was at before, there weren't really any young, single, 20 and 30 year olds. Um, and that was fellowship with that group of people, something I was missing in, in my walk with Christ and, and my church um, life. I found Christ Community uh, at the time, uh, had a girlfriend and we were looking around at different churches, stumbled upon Christ Community just because of the beautiful outside uh, uh, structure there at Brookside, uh, happened to go one Sunday um, and really uh, enjoyed the sermon, uh, the music, uh, the worship of it. It felt, uh, it felt uh, strangely enough, kind of just very comfortable. It was just kind of a long journey of really trying to finally figure out what I think the Bible talks about through the whole book is that uh, you can't do anything without Him and um, that you need Him for everything and that His grace is sufficient. And, um, yeah, that nobody's going to be perfect. We're going to still strive to towards perfection, but um, just understanding just the grace that He, that he offers. After the service, we were happened to meet a, a couple that um, were talking to us about a potential uh, community group Bible study they were starting uh, there in about a month or so. And so they took down our contact information, and, and you know we had kind of made a contact with, within the church at that point. And so we continued to go 
um, in those weeks to follow before the community group started. Unfortunately, uh, my girlfriend and I uh, happened to break up, and so um, I had emailed her and asked if she was going to go, and she said that she wasn't going to go. She was going to go back to the, the church she was previously going to, so that that first Tuesday that the community group started, I showed up. And I had met four of the uh, 12 people or 11 people that uh, were going to be attending the community group previously, and the other ones I, I did not know at all. And so when I, I walked in, it was, it, was, it was kind of interesting and funny um, that it was four married couples uh, and then a couple that was engaged, and then myself. And so as we're kind of going around sharing, uh, getting to know each other, you know, I, I asked, is it all right if I continue to be here? Because it seems like this is a, more of a couple's Bible study, and, you know, I'm couple-less. Um, and they all laughed and, and said, no, we're, we're glad to have you. It just kind of happened this way. But, uh, no, we want you to keep on coming. This is absolutely the Bible study for you. As I've grown older and really as I've delved deeper into my faith and really understood what it is to be a Christian, um, I found that I, I want to get involved in the lives of the younger generation um, to let them know the things that I've learned and um, really just be a part of their walk and their faith. And um, I found, too, that it's for people my age, we're looking for the same thing in the in the next the generation before us. So we're looking for those mentors who've already walked where we've walked and can help us along our own path. For me, it's the community group has been the, the single biggest factor uh, in my in my growth the last 12 to 14 months. I I don't see how I could have grown without getting involved. And and for me, just simply going to church on Sundays, uh, patting myself on the back as I walked out the door, and then waiting again for next Sunday. Um, you know, now it's, it's something in the middle of the week that uh, brings my attention to the Lord again. You know, they've encouraged me for daily devotions. We have reading through the Bible study that, uh, you know, comes up periodically. And it's just the constant touches I get through the community group that, you know, always keeps me, you know, centered uh, around the Lord, even, you know, just during a general work week. I'm really thankful for the things I'm learning. I think we have uh, some really smart leadership here who has a good theology and, and a good approach to life. And um, I think we have pastors that really pastor and are shepherds. Um, and I think it's really evident with the leadership here. And um, really thankful for the friendships that I've built too. I think, uh, I think we're really, it's iron sharpening iron, as, as one of my friends said. And I think um, we really sharpen one another and, encourage one another and uh, 